Well, good morning. If you have been with us, you know we're in the book of Ephesians, and we are taking about seven weeks up until uh, March, and then we're going to take a few weeks off for an Easter series and come back and do two more as we go through this letter, kind of verse by verse for the most part, uh, studying and understanding exactly who it's written to, the purpose for which it is written, and what it means and how it applies to our lives as well. And so we have kind of gone the last few weeks and done a, a very brief overview and history of uh, the place to, to where Paul is writing this city of Ephesus, which was the treasure or the crown jewel of Asia Minor. It was this beautiful city of commerce and trade and possibility, but it was also a place of idolatry, where idolatry reigned uh, over all of the people that the people that lived in that city and really in the, in the region and the areas around it, around it celebrated in worship to this goddess called Artemis. There was a temple outside the city that was the, uh, one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. And it was four times the size of the Parthenon. So it was this big majestic structure that people would go to and give their worship to and lay idols at the feet of this goddess. Much like we do today, that we gather together in a structure. We gather together in a building to come and bring worship to our God. And we bring him our idols that we lay at his feet and say, I've trusted in these other things that I've put in front of you or put in the seat of you that I know I continually pick up, that I, I know I'm called to lay those down at your feet. And so Paul is writing this letter to the, the group of Christians that live in this city that struggle with idolatry just like you and I do. And so he's encouraging them, telling them, this is who God is, this is what he's done for you, that he has given his life for you in the form of Christ, that he's come and sacrificed himself, that he's redeemed you back out of slavery and, and out of bondage, that you're no longer kidnapped anymore by your sin that you chose to fall into. That he has freed you, he's broken those chains so that you could have freedom and hope and life with God. That not only you would have freedom, but you would be brought into the family of God. That you're made a son and a daughter. That wasn't someone who just paid for your freedom and, and paid the ransom in which you were held captive. But it was someone who loved you enough to sacrifice his son, who in himself had the riches and the value to pay for that exchange. But also in that exchange invited you in to be his son and his daughter. And so Paul is writing this to them, and he's going to tell us in the next section that what this affords us, what it has done for us, that we have peace with God our Creator, that we have peace with our fellow man, with other believers, and that we have this sense of unity that we contain in the church that nowhere else and nobody else has, that we have been given this by Christ. It is not ours in our own doing, and he'll tell us later in chapter 4 that we're to hold this unity in place, that we couldn't find it ourselves, that we couldn't attain it, we couldn't gain it, we couldn't gather together in enough fire pits and kumbaya sessions, we could not do this on our own. You look around us as humanity, all of human history, we have not done anything in the sense of unity in and of ourselves. But God has afforded it to us, he's given it to us in Christ. And so Paul is going to encourage this group of people to live out this calling of being a people of peace and to be a people of unity, which we know from the Old Testament is called a people of blessing. That he's given this people, Israel, the people of God from the Old Testament, this sense of calling and unity and purpose, that they are to bring this peace into the world because Christ has given it to us. And so he begins in verse 11 because sometimes we struggle with this sense of peace and unity. Verse 11, this is what he says in chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in flesh by hands. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? All I think about is a baby when they're born, you know, they get circumcised and that's all that means to me. And so what Paul is saying is 
there are two groups and two divisions. That this group of people from the Old Testament, the Jewish people who were circumcised physically, which was a representation of our hearts spiritually being circumcised, felt themselves superior. Because that's how we have existed from all of human history. We have divided ourselves into conflicting and opposing groups. And if you're in one group, you, you get this type of status. You, you have this sense of inherent character or nature or position or, or upbringing or who you are in life because you're in a certain group. And if you're in this group, you attain to different levels of status because you want to compare yourselves to groups that are lesser than you, implying that you are better simply because you're born into or accepted in this group of people. And so Paul is writing to this group of believers in Ephesus and saying, look, this is how we've existed. We've existed as as the Jewish people, the circumcised. And we have seen these people who are uncircumcised, the Gentile people, which really is just a, a delegation for everyone not Jewish. So if you're not Jewish, you and I are Gentiles. If you're Jewish, you're Jewish. If not, you're not. Okay, that's pretty simple, pretty easy. And so Paul is writing back to say, you Gentiles, you lived in the flesh, you lived separate from God, and you were in this group. And for these ancient societies, they like to the Jewish people, the circumcised, they like to hold themselves higher than everyone else. Because they have a special relationship with God that the Gentiles did not. They had this special relationship that God had given them that, remember, they had done nothing in and of themselves to earn. It was just God's deciding and choosing to bring himself into the world through this group of people, and they would make him known to the rest of the world. But they liked to compare themselves to the Gentiles. They were always calling the non-Jewish people unclean, dirty, uncircumcised, and they used slang terms and slang words like you and I do to degrade someone else in society. So Paul is, is writing to them, remember, you were in this group of people, that you were separate at one time. And he's going to go on in just a second and say, everybody outside of Old Testament Israel, outside of this Jewish people, was outside of God and outside of Christ without any hope, which is what he continues to tell us in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So Paul tells these Gentiles, yes, you are different, that you don't have relationship with God. There was one time that you were outside of Israel and being outside of Israel in the Old Testament before Jesus came meant you had no hope, you had no relationship with God. But the purpose for which God used Israel was not so that they could gain a higher status. The reason that someone was born into the Jewish people did did not give them a right to claim position over another human being. It didn't give them opportunity to say, look at my family and what we have done compared to yours. It it was designed for the Old Testament Israelites, the Jewish people, to realize what God had done in, in choosing to love them and then calling them and commissioning them out to let the rest of the world know that God loves you too. That they would see their position not as something they've attained, but actually something they were called to give away. But unfortunately, it caused this Jewish group of people to become arrogant and inward focused. And you don't have to be in church for very long. You really don't have to be a human for very long to realize that whatever status we've attained, no matter how high or low it might be, we find someone else to compare ourselves to so that we can be arrogant about what we have and who we are 
and we become inward focused and we become self-centered and we become narcissistic. Look at me, look what I've done. Oh, I'm sorry that you're not one of the circumcised. I'm sorry you're one of those people. I'm sorry you're lesser than, you're, you're not as good as, as I am. And so Paul is writing this to, to the Gentile people who are uncircumcised to say, look, there's, there's opportunity for you to be in the family of God. And a reminder to the Jewish people, hey, you have this status, not because you're better. You have this status because God wants to use you to bring other people into the family as well. So he continues in the next couple of verses. In verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, I love that phrase, far off. That's one of the greatest phrases in, in all of scripture. And it's one of the ones that not only Paul uses, but another man named Peter in Acts chapter 2 uses the same phrase. He says, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile, bring together two parties that were separate, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What Paul says there is, yes, there were divisions, there were classifications that, that were natural in history, but that you elevated and, and that you aggravated and that you Jewish people said, look at us, we have special relationship with God, not because anything we've done, simply because our parents born, birthed us into this group of people. And Paul says, yes, you Gentiles were separate from God, but now that Christ has come, Anyone can have peace with God. Anyone can have a relationship with God. And what Jesus did was that he fulfilled the law. He obeyed God completely because no man, whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, born as circumcised or uncircumcised, born in Israel or outside of Israel, no man could obey God perfectly. None of us ever been born all throughout history except God, Jesus Christ, born in the flesh. And so in himself, Jesus said, I will take all of the commands and all the demands of God for holiness and righteousness, and I will hold them in myself, and I will fulfill everything that God desires so that all men, not just Jewish people, so that all men could have peace with God because there was hostility that we've seen Paul talk about the last few weeks. We were enemies of God because, as he said, we trespassed. We trampled all over God's law and God's rule and God's, God's commands. Just like we said we like to do as teenagers to our parents' curfew and our parents' laws and our parents' rules. We love to transgress on top of those and do a happy dance while we're doing it, right? We love to walk all over those just because nobody can tell me what to do. It's just outright rebellion. Those laws and rules, those curfews, they might be good, but we don't like them because somebody imposed them on us. And we don't want to follow them because we didn't get to come up with them on our own. And so Paul says, look, all of us are in this state, all of us are in this position where we walked all over God's law and we spit on it and we laughed at it and we said, I don't want any part of it. But the Jewish people felt they had special relation with God, that they were, they were separate from sin. They were better than the Gentiles because of who they were born into. But Paul says, look, all of us, no matter where you've come from, no matter your history, no matter your background, you all, all of us have an opportunity to be, to be called sons and daughters. Whether you are birthed into the Israelite people or not, whether you're born into the right family, 
Whether you're born on the right side of the tracks, whether you're born with a silver spoon or you were born struggling all of your life, whether you've committed a thousand sins or you've committed one sin, all of us have this opportunity in Jesus because he lived perfectly that we could have peace with God because we are hostile toward God. And honestly, he was hostile toward us because sin reigned in our hearts. And this wrath of this holy, righteous God was coming after and to kill our sin. But Jesus said, I will take it and I will allow it to kill me. And then I will overcome it so that you can have life. No matter whether you are born as a circumcised or uncircumcised, Jew or Gentile, Israelite or not, it does not matter. And in the place where there were classifications and divisions and we separated ourselves into two, Paul says Jesus has made us one. No matter where you've come from. It's that whole sense of adoption that he started in chapter 1. That even if you were born in another country into another family, you are adopted and brought into and made legally a son and a daughter with the same rights as someone who was birthed into that family naturally and biologically. There is no different. And not only is the hostility between God and man destroyed, the hostility between man and man is destroyed as well. And we have this sense of peace and unity with one another that the world does not have. We are fighting over everything you can imagine. And unfortunately, we as the church have done the very same thing. I know it's cliche, but if you've grown up in church before, you've argued over the color of the carpet and whether the choir should wear robes or not. It's asinine. It is insane. I get good discussion. We should have good discussion and use our minds to steward the resources God has given us properly. I understand that, and we should do that. But to air our dirty laundry, to discuss our differences with our fellow believers, to talk about people from different denominations, to classify ourselves over other churches is to only communicate to the world, we've got the same problems you do, we just have to go and we have to follow these rules and these guidelines and you don't, you're free from those things. Why would anybody from the outside world want to be a part of this if there's nothing different except we have laws and rules and commands placed on us that they seemingly don't have to follow? And so Paul says, in this place, you all have an opportunity to be children of God because this hostility, this peace has been given to you because Jesus has destroyed this hostility you have with God and what you have with one another. And so when you, when you join the family of God, you join the people of God. And you become brothers and sisters. And I know you fight like cats and dogs as brothers and sisters, but you fight to the nth degree to protect them. And you love them deeply. And it stays in the house. It doesn't get aired outside. You learn how to fix it. You learn how to solve it. You learn how to overcome it in the family. It doesn't go outside of the, the private discussion. But a lot of times we like to take our grievances and air them openly to anyone who would listen. And unfortunately, social media just has amplified. And let, get, it, let, get this, social media is not the problem. All it does is amplify the problem that exists within us. It's, it's just a megaphone for what's wrong with our hearts. It's, it's not a problem. It's something to be managed. But the problem lies within us. And so Paul continues to, to talk about in, in chapter se or verse 17 and 18. It says that he came and he preached peace to those who are far off. There's that word again. To those who are far off and peace to those who are near. 
For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. See, these Jewish people thought, well, I'm near to God because I was born into Israel. I grew up in church. I went to Sunday school all my life. My parents taught a small group. I went on a mission trip. I'm near to God just because I was born into this. And when we get born into church or we get born into the faith in a sense, not that anybody's born into the faith, because we all at some point have to trust and believe in Christ on our own. But we get this sense that we're better than someone else who wasn't born around faith and Christianity. We get this sense that we, we've elevated our status just because we showed up or because we attended or because we were dragged to a place. And this same inward focus, this same elitist mentality had entered into the Israelite people, the Jewish people, and they said, look, we're near to God. You people, you're far off. You are distant. You are away. And Paul says, I, I get it. They were far off. I, I was one of the ones beating the drum that they're dirty, unclean people who do not deserve God. But it's all changed with Jesus. It's all changed because he made us one in himself, no matter where we have come from. And those who are far off is the one who Jesus came to preach to and bring into the family. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy those who thought they had it all together, I came for the sick. Those who were off in the distance. Those who were hurting and helpless without a physician and a healer. And Peter says the same thing as they come out of this room where they've been praying and waiting for God to do something. The Holy Spirit comes on them and Peter steps off and he says, This message is for everyone who is far off. Everyone who's distant. No matter where you grew up or where you came from, you can all be adopted into the family. This is a message for people who are not near to God. This is a message for people who don't know him yet. This is a message for people who are off in the distance, who we have cast to the side and said, you are less than because you weren't born into this family, because you don't know the jargon, you don't know the language, you don't know when to stand, when to sit, how to raise your hand, how to speak, how to not cuss, how to not dip and smoke and girl, girl, go with girls who do, and I can't say it, because <laughs> it's the dumbest cliche we came up with in church. <laughs> it makes us look ridiculous. Because we can't stop doing those things on our own anyway. Because we were far off too. We just thought we were near. We just thought we were special. So Paul uses language to kind of give us this sense of belonging and draw us in. In verse 19, he gives us really three, three words of designation. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. He says, you're no longer strangers. And strangers had no rights. They were pushed off, cast off to the side. I don't know you. You don't belong here. Man, has that not been the theme of the church for 20, 30 years? You're not one of us. Even if we don't say it out loud, we just kind of insinuate by our actions, by our behavior, by sitting in the same seat every week and nobody can take your seat. Because this is mine. I've been here a long time. Nobody can have this. I was here first. Mm. 6,000, 1 billion years of history, however you want to see it scientifically, you weren't here first. <laughs> It's just common sense. And you probably won't be here last. Paul says at one time you were strangers. All of us were strangers. We were strangers to God because of what he said in the last couple of verses that we were dead in our transgression. All of us completely destroyed. He says you're no longer aliens either. And aliens get to exist within a group of people. They just don't have rights. You're just different. We're just going to receive you maybe because of pity or you're just kind of a trophy and look, oh, look at we, who we've got in our group. You're just the token whatever that might be. 
And I think churches over time tried to get to that sense of, oh, yeah, we'll accept people. Just make sure you clean them up first or make sure they don't sit over here. Make sure they're not in the front or make sure they're not visible on camera because they're alien. They're different from us. They haven't learned how to dress or how to say the right words yet. So we'll let them in because it makes us look better and we'll have pity on them. But they're really not part of us yet. They may not ever be part of us. Paul says, no, 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 you're, you're citizens. Just like you were adopted legally into a family and the old life is null and void and gone, you are a citizen. Your citizenship has changed. You have gone through immigration or Christ has done it for you and you are legally, fully a citizen of the household of God and you have no other citizenship. You are no longer stranger. You're no longer alien. You are no longer different. You are a child of God. Fully invested and fully vested with full inheritance and rights and so church when someone comes into our family individually family into your group into our building into our community of people they're not a stranger or an alien there's someone that God wants to invite in to be a son or a daughter and to be a citizen we can't treat people like strangers because we all know what it meant to be outside of the will of God because we were in our sin we can't treat people like aliens. Oh, you, come on, come on. Yeah, we'll, we'll hold you up and say, look what we've done. We have to see people as future citizens, as fellow brothers and sisters. And Paul says, this, this is for us what, what it has done. He goes beyond this language of nationality and, and affiliation. And he takes it deeper, which is hard. This, this next, next couple of verses was hard for a Jewish person. It was so hard because it goes beyond alien and stranger, and it even goes beyond citizen. This is what he says in verse 20, starting here. If this all was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. This is the, fr- the foundation that he's laying this on. In whom the whole structure is being built and joined together, grows into a, watch this, holy temple of the Lord. Mm-mm, you can't talk about those unclean people being a holy temple of God. And he says, in him, in Christ, you are also being built together into a dwelling place, this place of worship, this temple of God by the Spirit. A Jew could not fathom a Gentile, dirty, unclean, uncircumcised human being being brought not only into the family, but being invited to be in the temple, that they were the temple. How in the world could God exist in someone like that? In their mind, there was no possible way. But that was God's design. That's why Christ came. So that those who were strangers could be formed into the temple. This structure that Christ was the cornerstone building all of us up because we are one. Because we are all in the same place and same position no matter where you have come or where you are born from. Or your background or history. That we can be made the temple of God which is where God dwells. Which means God desires to live and abide and dwell with you. Every single person who is found in Christ. And you may even think that about yourself. I'm so dirty, I'm so unclean, I'm so messed up and jacked up and I don't look like everybody else. God didn't care. Because they didn't make themselves clean, Jesus made them clean and he wants to do the same thing with you. And he wants to abide. This isn't isn't a father who adopted you and brought brought you into his family so he can say, oh, look at all these kids I've got. 
He brought you in so he could bring you near, so he could live with you and walk with you and talk with you and shape you. To be the greatest father you've ever known. To live and dwell and call you his temple, which is the place he dwells and resides. The problem with the Israelite people is that they lost sight and they lost focus of this. This is, this is why God brought them into being as a people. Because he wanted to communicate this message to the world and he wanted to use this people to do it. And what's crazy is Paul, who wrote this to the Ephesians people, to the church in Ephesus, he was one of their greatest opponents against anyone outside of the Jewish religion having connection with God. He was one of the greatest opponents. He would crucify Christians literally. He, he would crucify people who thought they had a relation with God but were outside the Jewish faith. He beat the drum and he beat people's heads. He was a Jew of all Jews at the highest level of Jewishness. And it was a mystery to him. He could not understand how God could love someone outside the Jewish faith. And it was a mystery to most of the world too, which is what he says in, verse, in chapter 3 and verse 6. He says this about this, this mystery and this understanding. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He, he just could not wrap his mind around it one time until Jesus introduced himself to Paul after he was resurrected and he saw him face to face and Paul says, I get it, I understand. It's not about me, it's not about a system, it's not about an institution, it's not about what raw, uh, rules and laws we have regulated and what we say is right compared to someone else. He says, I get it, all of us were at the feet of sin and we were bound in chains by our transgressions and all of us needed Jesus to come and rescue us and buy us out of slavery. And this mystery was revealed to Paul because it wasn't just for him because he was special. It was for him because he was distant and a stranger and far off. And it was for everyone who was far off. And for the Jews, this mystery was so hard to understand. And so Paul writes to this people and says, look, I have been changed by Jesus. And I not only see that God came for everyone who's far off to make them one and whole. But he's actually asked me to be a part of bringing that into the world as well. He continues in verse 7. He says, of this gospel, this good news that Jesus came for everyone. I was made a minister according to the gifts of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. And to me, although I am the very least of all saints, which is a complete transformation in Paul. Paul went from the 17-year-old know-it-all to the 60-year-old sage who says, look, I got nothing to offer. And all my wisdom, I got, I got nothing. There are people smarter than me, better than me. And only God could do this in Paul. And he says, I'm the least. I, I'm nobody. And in Paul's former life, he was everybody, not just somebody. He was the man. He was the rising star in the Jewish faith at the height of Jewishness. Paul says, I'm the least of these, but he gave me grace to preach to the Gentiles, those dirty, unclean, uncircumcised people that we thought were less than. I count it as a gift and a joy because of God's grace to teach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ so that they would know and understand this too. And to bring to light to everyone what is the plan of the mystery. This mystery that no one can understand that's been hidden for ages until Christ came. I'm the one, I'm the one that he called to go to the Gentiles uh, and give them this mystery hidden for ages in God who he created for all things. And Paul says, I wasn't just rescued from my elite status. I was commissioned and sent to be a part of this change, to be a part of bringing this gospel into the world. 
so that everyone who is previously far off could be brought near to God. And so we say, man, that's great for Paul. That's awesome that God changed him. But that's not the end of the story. Because God continues to work in the world, yet Paul doesn't exist physically. And so he continues to kind of pass the baton on, because earlier he talked about the apostles and the prophets, and this foundation that God was building on and bringing this mystery and this message to the world. And it came fully known in Christ, and then God sent out the apostles, men like Paul, who were commissioned to go around the world. But as those men died off, Jesus began a new work that was kind of creating and building another group of people who would continue to work and do the very same thing. In verse 10, this is what he says. He says, so that through the church, you know what the church is? You know if you've been around long enough. If you've not been around long enough, you probably have a misunderstanding because we are the ones who gave you the wrong information. The church has nothing to do with the building. Churches all over the world have worshipped under trees. They've worshipped by a lake. They've worshipped in a building, and then a year later they worship in a different building. And church buildings and structures get built and torn down all the time. And us traditionalists cry because the building, the church building is gone. But the church building wasn't the temple that Paul was saying God was building. The people of God are the church that God was building. The people are the ones that God wants to reside and abide and live in. And so he says, through the church, this manifold wisdom, manifold just means to be made known, to be seen, to be understood. So this wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, not just on the earth, but in the heavenly places. And this was not an accident. This wasn't, oh no, Jesus is dead, Paul's dead, all the apostles were dead. This was according to his eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus from the very beginning. This was God's plan, that you and I as the church, as people, would continue the work of making known to the world, even if you feel far off, even if you feel distant, even if you feel like a stranger or an alien. It's the whole reason, the whole purpose that God sent his son Jesus to die so that you could be brought into the family. But sometimes we forget. We get inward focused. We forget the unity we have with one another, which Jesus said would be the evidence of us being his disciples, which would draw people to himself. Sometimes we forget our purpose and our calling. We like to join together and we like to meet together. We like to hear people sing or pretend we like to hear people preach. We like to fill our schedules with events and activities. And sometimes we even like to have Bible studies just because it's what we're supposed to do. And we forget the purpose for which God and Jesus created the church. It was to make known to the world this manifold wisdom in a multifaceted array of ways that we still do not fully understand. To make known to the rest of the world this wisdom that seems illogical, irrational, that Jesus, God, would die for a human being. And that we as the people, not the building, we as the people are to make that known to our neighbors to our friends, individually, as a group, collectively as a church. That's our purpose and that's our goal. We come together to celebrate this unity we have with one another. We come together to invite people to be a part of it. But we live all of our days 
to bring people into this understanding that even if you're far off, because I was there, I know where you've been. God still has chosen to love you and make a way for you to be a part of his family as well. So I have a question. How are you doing as the church? How are you doing making this wisdom known to your coworkers on your kids' ball field? Are we too busy trying to make money, trying to win games, trying to survive life? And how are we doing as a church at making this manifold wisdom known to our community, to our city, and to the world? Because that's our purpose. Sometimes we just forget and we make it about us instead of what he's called us to do together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder this morning um, that we too were far off, that we were distant from you because of our sin and because of our bondage. And sometimes we don't like to admit that and so we don't come to the point of trusting in you for rescuing us and saving us from that captivity. But God, we pray for men and women who are here, who are watching and listening, that through these words that Paul wrote, that the Holy Spirit gave him, that God, we would see our need for you, and that as a church, we would see our purpose in being changed and transformed and called and commissioned to continually, every day, in small ways and big ways, to make known this wisdom of sending and sacrificing your son. So the men and women who are distant and far off could be forgiven, could be a citizen, could be a son, and could be the temple of God in whom you reside. Father, help us to communicate in love. Help us to remember that the church is a powerful voice, not with a megaphone, but with action and love because of the peace and the unity we have received through Christ. God, help us to fulfill our mission and purpose in the world. In Christ's name, amen.